This is Five on Three. Center ice for all things Islanders, Rangers, and all news across the NHL on WFUV Sports. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to Five on Three. WFUV Sports' flagship hockey podcast. It's only hockey podcast. That's right. These three guys back talking some puck. James Burley, my first time in the host chair, but albeit virtually. I'll take what I can get, though, in the hockey world. Lou Orlando joins me and Andrew Kinnear. Guys, what is going on, Lou? What's going to happen, Yeah, buddy? that's good. Good to be with you guys. I think that this should be the last uh, remote podcast before we all get back. So I think excited to actually get back in the studio. Those are always a little bit more electric, but did a good job of keeping the ship going over break. So happy to be with you guys. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it's been a great break so far. I've uh, been able to catch up with some hockey, which is great. Finals was a little bit stressful. Actually able to watch some, which was really nice. The Rangers game last night, amazing. And yeah, I'm glad to wrap up the last of these uh, Zoom podcasts so we could finally get back in studio and uh, get back to the regular stuff. Yeah, well, we've certainly had our fun with Zoom, uh, converting all the video files into OBS and whatnot. I think we uh, we won't we won't get into the specifics of the technology, but uh, we're going to no, be yeah. very happy to be getting back on campus and back in studio. Um, we had some fireworks with the Jimmy VC conversation last week, so maybe maybe we'll re- re- reignite the flame this week. Um, but we'll start with the Rangers again. Uh, you talked about that electric Rangers game last night, Andrew. I mean, Lou, you're the Rangers beat reporter on the call. Talk about the game last night against a tough Dallas team. The Rangers ended up coming on top 2-1 in OT. Tell me about how they were able to pull that one off and just the story of the game. Yeah, I mean, it, it was pretty wild. Again, I was there in person, I think, for the first 59 seconds and 59.8 seconds, like – Rangers kind of got outplayed. Uh, I think they got a little bit lucky that Dallas didn't necessarily come to play the way we've seen Dallas come to play. But, man, the last two and a half minutes made up for it. There is uh, the play of the game that like NHL has been posting everywhere. Rangers are down one. Panarin's wheeling around behind the net. And just throws it in front of the net. And, and somehow the puck gets back to Keandre Miller with like two seconds left. And actually, his first shot gets blocked. And when that happens, I kind of looked up and I was like, well, that's over. I didn't think they were coming back anyway. Somehow the puck gets back to Miller, and he's not even in a shooting position. He just kind of flicks his wrist and gets it by Ottinger. And then that sparked the Rangers. They come right down overtime. Fox gets the overtime winner like a little bit more than a minute in. And the Rangers beat the the Stars 2-1. I think that, you know, Rangers came out slow offensively. Uh, One high danger scoring chance through the first two periods. Better in the third period, they control the puck in the offensive zone, but really never felt like they came legitimately close to scoring uh, until the end there. But props to them, they hold a really good Dallas offense to one goal. And even though I don't think Dallas played their best, you still did that. You kept yourself in that game to give yourself the chance to win. And I mean, man, the final three minutes, that's some of the best hockey you'll ever see. Like I was talking with some of the reporters, and like, not sure I've seen a game get tied with 0.2 seconds left. Like It was pretty crazy to watch. Yeah, talk about a saving game from, uh, you know, the jaws of defeat, bringing it back to victory. I mean, it was such an amazing game watching it last night. Um, And like you said, Lou, I mean, the Rangers, they weren't great offensively in the first two periods, I would say. I mean, it wasn't the stars that we're used to seeing, again, like you said. But going into that third period, I I think it really showed how dangerous the Rangers are. And 
they don't really have too much quinn in them and like you said uh <laughs> it's kind of funny when <laughs> heard, a, heard a little bit about that that might be a mantra or something Not yeah sure, something though. like that something like that but um when you mentioned that kandre miller goal the same thing I was thinking when that first slap shot went off, I was like, oh, that's it for the game. But what a goal. I think it was part luck, part skill, went off the right post. What a, I mean, what an amazing goal. And to follow that up with, uh, you know, just having the momentum in their corner and finishing that game so early on in overtime um, is an impressive win. I I would like to back that up by saying that's two come from behind wins for the New York Rangers. Um, two at home, especially after what happened last Saturday. We'll get into that one. A little bit more in detail, as you, you, I know, Lou knows. I would love to. Um, with that said, though, this has been a great response from a tough loss for the Rangers, back to back against two tough teams uh, in a conference. Teams that you're not familiar with, but that you know certainly have a lot of quality. Dallas has been a top five team down through this stretch of the season. To come back to not only limit them to one goal, but to come back uh, and do so in overtime in the way that they did late, late drama. It's always fun, but also it's indicative of character. And this Rangers team has shown a lot of character. I saw a stat this morning. Since Jacob Truba got in that fight against Chicago and threw his helmet on the ice, they had 13 wins, two reg regulation losses, and two overtime losses. It's been a great spell for the Rangers since they showed that sign of character. And I will say Adam Fox, uh, I mean, if he's not the front runner from the Norris Trophy right now, who is? And that's an honest question for you. Because I, I, I think he's the best. I appreciate that, James. And I also, you know, you pointed the the Jacob Truba helmet throw, and I was listening to Colin Stevenson on, on Blue Shirts Breakaway yesterday, and he also pointed out there was a moment, and I was right there for it. We after we lost to the Devils, and I think it had come right after the Rangers blew like a three goal lead against the Oilers in the third period, uh, and then we came, Devils came to MSG. The Rangers scored two goals to start, and then ended up losing that game, and. and we called for Igor in the locker room, and he came in, and I'll I'll clean up a little bit. But Igor, Igor said, "You know, goalie played like trash again today. I'm ashamed." Is basically what he said. And and since then, Igor's been really good. And since the since then, and really since the helmet throw, Rangers have been on a really impressive run. And but it does feel like they're starting to play their best hockey now. You know, I think there were parts of the season where they were winning, and not necessarily playing their best. It feels like we're getting more and more towards really consistent hockey. Keandre Miller has become one of the most exciting defensemen to watch in the NHL. I think he already had the goal of the year earlier in the season where he got tripped up, somehow got back up and scores. But, I mean, man, this kid was great last year, and I think got off to a slow start this year. But he's been just so fun to watch. And I'll throw out another impressive thing about this win. Rangers did it without Chris Kreider. Kreider had been hurt, and then they actually they lost Gautier as well in this game. Gautier and Blay collided earlier in the first period. So we're seeing big minutes for Lafreniere. Lafreniere starts the overtime period and gets the Rangers into the offensive zone. Yeah, and going off that, I mean, I think like what you're saying, Lou, it's the realization of this Rangers team that I kind of been, I think we've all kind of been waiting for um, up until this point. I mean, they had an impressive season last season going into the postseason. There were some problems, but this offseason, they made some new moves, some new acquisitions, and it didn't really seem like it was panning out in the first half of this season. But I think now we're starting to get to the point where the team is starting to really gel together. And we're seeing, despite even some injuries, um, this Rangers team is a lot more cohesive and able to win more consistently. I'll, I'll tell you what, it's certainly been an improvement in the play style of hockey from the Rangers. I mean, coming off of a tough loss to the next team that we're going to have to talk about from last Saturday, it was the New Jersey Devils, 4-3 in overtime 
another late comeback for New Jersey. Each of the three times the Devils and Rangers have played each other this year, one team has gone up to nothing and the other team has won each of the three times. So, I mean, at least we've gotten excitement back to the Devils Rangers rivalry lore that uh, I, I'm, I love and I'm sure that you guys have an appreciation for as well. But to have seen now the seesaw games between these two teams and it to end in overtime uh, twice and it to end in a 4-3, 5-3 with the empty netter in the first game at MSG for the Devils, this has been a year where I think the only thing it shows is the Metropolitan Division is as tight as can be. And at the slimmest of margins won that game for the Devils on Saturday. I don't want to sit here and say that the Devils dominated the Rangers and like prove that they're the second best team far and away in the Metropolitan Division, because that's not entirely true. I mean, it maybe it proved that Jack Hughes is the stud everybody thinks he is, because he's the stud everybody thinks he is. And the Devils are for real. They're a playoff candidate. But that was a game that the Rangers, I thought it was their game to win because they had that 3-1 lead going into the third period. And it took a late effort for the Devils to come come back into it. But as we just talked about, the Rangers coming back uh, from being down to the Stars and being down to the Wild and getting two wins in a row, I think they they haven't had much to worry about. However, this win comes from New Jersey at a crucial time. We were talking about on the podcast time and time again how bad the month of December was. But now in their last six games, the Devils have four wins. And a win against your biggest rival at home coming from behind is enough to save a season. And I couldn't be there at the Prudential Center. Uh, unfortunately, I was in Arizona on vacation with my family. It was a beautiful vacation. And uh, I was sitting on the rocks in Sedona watching on my phone as Damon Severson got that puck. And it was a great feeling to be a New Jersey Devils fan. However, it's not the end of the story because there's still so much hockey left. We're at the halfway point of the season. And I still think the Devils now have one of their toughest tests going into California because they play the Ducks, Kings, and Sharks. And that is never easy. And the Devils have never been good at it. They're in Anaheim tonight. Lou, I want your take on from what the Devils' response so far in the month of January has been. It's not been perfect, but do you think that maybe they're trending back in the right direction that we saw, say, in November? Or do you think maybe they still have a lot to worry about with all these teams in the division just breathing down their necks? First and foremost, talking about that that winning as the Rangers, even as a Rangers fan, so impressed with what the Devils did. And I do agree that, you know, the Rangers definitely played a part in the Devils coming back in that game. I think the Rangers kind of fell apart in the third period. But, I mean, man, Jack Hughes is special, and, and that was an impressive effort by the Devils. And you start to talk about them kind of emerging from that really month-long slide that they've been in. And one, one thing that you didn't even mention is that they went in on Tuesday and they beat the Carolina Hurricanes. And in my mind, that's still the best team in the Metro when we're talking about this stacked Metropolitan Conference. Because Carolina is the one team that I think does what every other NHL team wants to do and can't, and that's they play their brand of hockey every single game. You know that when you play them, you're going to get that four check, you're going to get a pretty solid offensive attack, and you're probably going to play pretty solid goaltending. And I think you know every NHL team wants to go out there and play the same way every game, and that's simply not the case. But Carolina kind of does that, so... I'm very impressed with that. When you look at that West Coast trip, you mentioned, right, Ducks, Kings, Sharks, and then Kraken. So I, I think, think big stretch of four there for the Devils. But I think we talked about it, right? Like the Devils were not going to be on that slide forever. Things were going to even out. They are super talented. And, and now it's just, right, they're tied. The thing is they let other teams catch up to them. So now they're tied 
with the Rangers for second place in the Metro. And the one, the one thing I will say is I, I still don't think that it's a lock that the Devils are a division team. I think they're really good. But I I think people have been talking for too long and assuming that the Rangers are a wild card team. The vibe around the Rangers has been wild card team. I think the Rangers are more in play for the division now, and I think the Devils are a little bit at risk for the division. Um, I could definitely see that, Lou. I mean, I can see the Devils. I mean, they have had problems as of late, and I think that these recent wins against the Hurricanes and against the Rangers have been a nice like reset for them, real kind of morale booster. Um, and kind of able to stave off some of the, uh, I guess, like injuries and, uh, you know, I guess some of the problems they had in the previous months. Um, but we've seen what this Devils team is capable of when they're at, you know, going on all cylinders. Um, I mean, their 13 game win streak was some of the funnest hockey to watch all season. Um, so I, I think we're starting to see the pendulum swing from that downturn back into where the Devils are starting to perform well. And this um, road trip is going to be, um, I think it's going to, do a lot to show where the devils are at. I think that's the best part about road trips is that they're always a good, a good way to evaluate yourself. You know, you don't always consider those points guaranteed when you're making a cross country six hour flight. So it's a good way to see where you're at. I definitely agree with that. And I'm glad you guys both talked about the Carolina game because it felt like during that stretch in December, the devils would be the better team against a lot of teams, including the Bruins, uh, not so much the hurricanes. Cause like you said, Carolina plays the way they want every time, and it's so impressive. And they did that against New Jersey in Carolina last Tuesday. They were the better team. They controlled the pace of the game. They made New Jersey's life difficult, but they got a few bounces that they otherwise wouldn't get on their losing slide. And that is a good sign to know that even when the Devils plug away, they can still come away with a result, even on the road. And they've been terrific on the road as well. That's been kind of their mantra all season, which is strange because they're a team that's so talented but they still feel like when they're at home, they have to measure up to the fans' expectations, these new expectations that, let's face it, a lot of these young guys aren't really used to being a talented team. Uh, they, A lot of these guys only really know being a losing team. Jack Hughes has never been to the playoffs before. So there's, there's a lot of things that this group still needs to learn at the halfway point of the year. And I will say that they are still vulnerable. Uh, we talk about their goaltending situation a lot because – it's not entirely clear. Their their statistically best goaltender right now is in Utica playing in the AHL because Akira Schmid had the best numbers, but Vitek Vanacek and Mackenzie Blackwood seems to be the duo going forward. Uh, they We know both of those guys can be good goaltenders, but can they do it consistently for a full season in a starter's load? Neither of those guys really have, so it's going to be still questionable uh, moving forward. As for the Western Canada road, uh, sorry, Western Canada, Western USA road trip in California before they head up to Seattle. We got to talk about the Seattle Kraken before we get to the Islanders real quick, because the Seattle Kraken are on a seven game heater and they're at the tail end of this devil's road trip. What's going on in Seattle? I, I cannot believe that we have another expansion team that was good right out the gates because when the Vegas golden Knights made that draft in uh, 2017, I remember sitting there thinking this team is not going to amount to anything for several years. And did they not go straight to the Stanley Cup final? The Seattle Kraken right now are in a tough Pacific division and holding their own, to say the least. They're firmly in a divisional spot in third place, five points clear of the Flames. And they've won seven in a row, seven of their last ten. That's on the backs of a losing streak as well. So these guys are playing some of their best hockey. I I can't even say it. They beat the Bruins 3-0 last night, their first regulation loss, you said, Lou, at home this season. Can, can we talk about the Kraken? Because 
outside of Maddie Beneers, I, I I can't say I've been keeping up enough enough with Seattle. Yeah, I mean, I think this is the time that you got to start tuning in if you're a Kraken fan. Even if you're not a fan, you know, start tuning in, honestly. They're an exciting team coming off a seven-game win streak. And like you said, honestly, I think it's going to be really interesting to see when the Devils clash against the Kraken. I think it's kind of both of these teams are kind of, I guess, Cinderella stories in kind of a sense. And it's going to be interesting to see when they finally clash and see who's going to come out on top and who's better. But like you were saying, James, it's crazy that we have another expansion team that is this good this early on. Um, like you said with the Knights, I mean, I when that happened in 2017, I was like, oh, it's going to be another five years, another six years until we see them actually become competitive. And then they went straight to the playoffs. And we're seeing it again with the Kraken right here. And um, it's an exciting team to watch. I mean, they have some amazing players and uh, Martin Jones um, and also Vince Dunn that really kind of flesh out the team, I feel like. Um but yeah, what have you been seeing in this team, Lou? I I think it's just a sense of a. Sometimes these expansion teams come up and they're so hungry to win. I also think they're taking advantage of what I think is a weaker Western Conference. But you look at what Maddie Beneers has been doing, and it, it's just exceptional. I don't even think that they're getting a, like great goaltending play, but they continue to win, and that's really impressive. I, I think this landscape is wide open. I kind of got the sense of this after. The Rangers played Minnesota and Dallas essentially back-to-back and going like, man, I've been so preoccupied with the Metro and the Eastern Conference that I haven't even thought about the Western Conference. And I just like, you keep looking up and I keep getting surprised when I look at the Western Conference standings and seeing who's the top three teams in each division. And I looked up today and Colorado is three spots out of like last place. I know they've been bereft with injuries, but I really think that we're in a spot right now in the NHL where the Eastern Conference is so much better than the Western Conference that if you're Seattle and you can really feast on some of these poor teams and then play against really good teams, like again, they beat Boston. So I think the Seattle team is really good. And I wouldn't be surprised if they're a dark horse to make it on the playoffs. I, I think it's a surprise just, just to see that with their roster, the way that they play. I mean, it's the same kind of dilemma with the the dynamic, excuse me, with the Knights, where they got a lot of really good hockey out of players that you kind of thought we were overperforming. William Carlson made the jump from a third line, an average third line center to a top five first liner in one season. Um, and then you look at Marty Jones, who has not been providing, you know, terrific goaltending, but he's benched Philip Grubauer, who just a couple seasons ago was uh, a Vesna candidate. You know, this is, this is a big deal for a goaltender like him to have now stepped in and become the number one for this team and provide solid, reliable goaltending throughout. Um, and they've managed to be consistent, which is probably the toughest thing to do in that Western conference where there's a admittedly turmoil for some of the better teams in Colorado. Uh, the flames, you know, had a couple of trades that maybe didn't go their way in the off season and they've reaped the benefits of that as for coming back stateside a team that just lost to the, uh, yeah, no, last week, sorry, lost to the Calgary Flames. It's the New York Islanders. We talked about last week on the podcast that they started that Western Canada road trip with a good note, beating the Vancouver Canucks 6-2, and then followed that up with four straight losses. I said that the Islanders were a good team that was good enough when they're at their best to be in the top three in the Metropolitan Division, which, as we've just discussed, is so hard to do that we can't even confirm it for the Devils or Rangers, who are both sitting on 55 points in second and third. 
the Islanders are now back in sixth. They have not looked great over these last four games, uh, even with their goaltending that I like to talk about so much. And Matty Barzell, who we, I think, have kind of come to adopt on this podcast. Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, I mean Louie has been a bigger part of that than I have, so maybe he can speak to that. But this has been a tough last 10 or so games for the Islanders where they've seemed like they get – for every one step forward, they go two steps back. And every two steps forward, they go one step back. Right now, they're stuck in a rut. And, you know, it's a nice little showcase of what a West Coast trip can do to you, right? Especially, you know, Devils that have that upcoming. We just talked about that. Islanders came into this West Coast trip. And I think you were feeling really good about how the Islanders were starting to play. They were picking up wins. It, it felt like, you know, things were kind of getting in the right spot. Barzal was scoring. And really, after that Vancouver game, this offense has just fell silent. And Barzal really hasn't been a part of it. And you look at some of the shot total numbers for them. There are certain, there are a couple games where they're not getting twenty shots off in the in the game, and you're like, guys, what's going on? Like this is, I just I'm a little confused with this with this Islanders team. Uh, I keep looking at them. I just I don't I don't know that I see a ton there right now. Again, I think they still have, I think they have talent. I think they have more talent than what they play to. But I'm just not impressed at all with with their offense this year. And out, again, outside of that one spurt where Barzal really started to shoot the puck and get the puck in the net, this is an Islanders team that I think feels a lot like the first half uh, of the Rangers last year, where carried by goaltending and just just like please get a couple goals and, and try and steal a win if you think back to what the rangers did last year well they got they went out they got andrew cop frank vetrano tyler mott they got some pieces that i think really made that offense better down the stretch and, and helped them going around the playoffs so the islanders are going to need to do they need to go out and and make some trades and i think the question is just do they believe in this team enough to do that because in order to get the pieces to really make this offense bolster this offense you're not giving up nothing so you're going to have to give up capital of some kind I'm not sure that the Islanders are going to be willing to do that given kind of where their draft capital stands. But I mean, yeah, I think they're good enough to be a wild card team. I don't see the division really in their future. Uh, but the Islanders have just been far too inconsistent this year. And I, I just, I haven't seen enough from them in long stretches. Yeah. I mean, I guess going off of what you're saying, Lou, I mean, just something's not clicking with this Islanders team. And I think we kind of all noticed it at this point, obviously, I mean, Sorokin's been amazing in the net and there's not really, you know, much problems defensively. Um, and like you said, it was kind of similar to that Rangers team last year where we were seeing with Shesterkin. Um, but I think there, like I said, there's just something that's not clicking with this team and that's all on the offensive side um in terms of generating offensive plays off of power plays and just generating offensive plays in general has been something that the islanders have been extremely inconsistent in, in this entire series or entire season i should say and that's really showed throughout their record and i think that's going to keep them out of the um out of the top three in the metropolitan league um and in a wild card slot if that at this point unless if they make some like you said some big acquisitions big trades something to really fill that offensive gap that they have right now I think I think the fans are certainly in agreement. There were a chance of getting uh, Lou Lamarillo, the GM, out. That was uh, at UBS Arena last night as they fell to the Wild three to one. Um, just some quick statistics before we move on. The Islanders are twenty second in the league in goals for with one hundred thirty one. They're having they're tenth in goals against. So not as many problems defensively as there have been offensively. I think we can contribute a lot of uh, attribute a lot of that to Sorokin, who's been fantastic. But I think the biggest thing here 
We talk about their inconsistency. They have the 29th easiest schedule in the NHL right now, 29th, 32 with strength schedule. It's, it's not, it's not that they're not always uh, consistent against the best teams. They're inconsistent across the board. And that is probably the most concerning part for the Islanders moving forward. I think that if you really want to establish yourself in the metropolitan division, you have to be able to uh, win the toughest of games. And I think we've seen the top teams do that. The hurricanes going on the road and getting wins in just about every place, the Bruins doing that, the Islanders, I, I, I know are nowhere near that conversation, but to be in the conversation with those teams, you that's the, those are the teams that are going to be able to make, make it to the playoffs in this Eastern conference this year. It's just far too tight. Um, we've basically written off any chance of an Atlantic division team getting a wild card. That's how, you know, the metropolitan division is really that, that scary. Um, if we can pivot though, I'd like to be able to mention the world junior championships, which just, uh, actually transpired as we recorded last week. So while the podcast did come out after the championship, we didn't really get a chance to talk about who, Everybody knew it was probably going to win after the U.S. lost to them, but of course it was Canada. They didn't make it. They didn't make it uh, easy on themselves though. An overtime win, three-two over the Czech Republic. Or are we calling them Czechia now? Is that is this how we do it? Is did that like officially change? And I didn't realize. I think we're at least calling the hockey team Czechia. Czechia. Okay, so that so that's that three-two in the I, final. I, I don't know what's going on with the Czech Republic though. I think that still exists in some capacity, but all right. Well. The nomenclature aside, uh, yeah. from from the country potentially formerly known as the Czech Republic, they gave Canada a good fight in the final. And the U.S. played in the uh, the third place game against Sweden, and that game was actually ridiculous. Eight seven. I don't know if you guys saw Luke Hughes's goal to tie it up at seven in the third period from his knees, like sweeped it around. It was like the the Ovechkin goal from behind his back, but he did it front facing, uh, just slid it on the ground. That was. A pretty pretty way to uh I think cap the tournament off for the Americans who ultimately didn't capture gold or silver, but did finish third place over Sweden. Um Canada, I mean Connor Bedard, Connor Bedard, Connor Bedard, Connor Bedard. What else can you say about this team if it's not talking about Connor Bedard? Uh I don't have his exact uh points totals in front of me because I don't think it even matters. Because everybody now has heard from not just the hockey world, I've had my brothers who don't give a hoot about hockey. Let's just say they'll turn over to me and say, Hey, is this Connor Bedard guy really this good? Cause he's all over my feed. And the answer I always give them is yes. He's the next Connor McDavid. Uh, keep an eye out for him. And I want to know if there's anybody else who's crazy or actually agrees with me in this uh, podcast right now. Can you, can you tell me he's not the next Connor McDavid? Listen, world junior cemented, Two things. One, we still have no idea what goalie interference is. And two, yes. Connor Bedard is insane. And yes, he's the next he's the next Connor McDavid. We haven't I don't think we've seen a, a prospect this hyped since McDavid. And rightfully so. You saw the way he tore up like NHL prospect and people that are on NHL teams, right? He's playing with Shane, right? He's playing against Players that have been in or played in the NHL, they were young, but they're NHL players. And he tore this league up. And it, he's so quick. His release on his shot it is ridiculous. Like he's going to be a, a problem in this league. It is going to be a gift from God for whichever team wins the lottery this year. 
Yeah, gift from God. I mean, you said it right there, Lou. I mean, he, Connor is everything and that. I mean, there's nothing that says that he isn't. I mean, I think this Canada Junior Team win is just the realization and confirmation of all of that stuff that we've been hearing. I mean, I've seen throughout my entire social media feed back in like, you know, during finals wasn't when I wasn't even really watching hockey. And I was like, oh, I better pay attention to this guy. Um his stat line's crazy. I mean, I think uh, so far through the 2022-23 season, he scored 70 points in 29 regular season games uh, with his Regina Pats junior team, which is insanity. That's crazy. Um, like you said, Lou, whoever ends up getting the lottery for this guy, is uh, they're going to be one happy team. It's going to be exciting to see what he does uh, when he finally gets the league. Well, Bedard finished with 23 points over seven games at the juniors, 14 assists, nine, go nine goals. The next highest uh, point scorer was Logan Cooley of the U.S., who had a terrific tournament uh, with 14 points in seven games, which is insane. That's two points per game, seven good, goals, seven Those assists. are good numbers, and it's nine points less than Bedard. But it's, but it's just drowned out by Connor Bedard and his 23 points. I mean, you think about – he's – Born in 2005. Let that let that sink in. He's playing. He's a 70 point scorer for the Regina Pats at 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 17 years old. <laughs> he's of 2005 birthday. Definitely going first overall. Um, but he didn't get a point in the final. Oddly enough, uh, Dylan Gunther scored. Shane Wright scored. You know, those are how the not household yet, but those are emerging NHL talents too that Canada has that. No other country has the luxury of having in the juniors, unfortunately. So for the U.S. to have gone as far as they did, I think, to wrap it up, that semifinal game against Canada, I mean, it was definitely littered with controversy. I, I don't think the uh, the goal to make it 3-2 uh, was even remotely goalie interference. I mean, I we, we briefly touched on this last week, but we, maybe I'm still a bit bitter about it. I don't know. Um one final thing to end on, and this is we will leave it a little gross for the listener and potentially viewer if this is the clip we use for YouTube. I hope not. Um, but Connor McDavid, we talked about him a minute ago. Something something was going around on social media about him. And I just want to bring this up because it's ridiculous. He has worn these same pair of socks, not hockey socks, mind you, socks underneath his skates for his entire career, was it? Because they don't make them anymore. I got, hey, look, I don't, I'm not in any position to be giving Connor McDavid advice about hockey. But hey, I got a bit of advice, Connor. Get new socks, dude. Yeah. Why was, why did I have to see that so many times, man? What was going yeah. on? On, right, on the one hand, I guess, hey, how's it working out for him? He's the best player in the world. On the other hand, socks are supposed to cover your toes in an ideal world. And those <laughs> simply aren't, those simply aren't doing that. It's like, you ever seen those like the gloves where like they, they cut the the fingers off so you can like touch your phone, but like it, it'd be as if you didn't have any gloves on your knuckles. That's essentially what these socks are doing. It's like, listen, I get superstitions because I'm superstitious, and hockey players especially are superstitious. But at, at some point, man, get a, get a new pair of socks. I think you'll still be you'll still be pretty good. I guess maybe you won't be the best player in the world anymore, but he'll, he'll still be okay. Yeah, I mean, uh, hockey players are superstitious. Back when I used to play, I mean, like, uh, guys wouldn't, like, wash their jerseys, stuff like that, oh, you know what I mean? Disgusting. Which is nasty, I get it, but, I mean, I think that's a little bit better than socks, I guess. But the Slightly. main question I have is, 
with this man's multi-million dollar sponsors, how does he not just have someone produce the sock that he really wants for them? You know what I mean? Because I read into the story a little bit. Apparently he said the reason why he keeps wearing them is, yes, yeah, superstition, but also because he just likes the sock, I guess, that much. And they don't make them that same way anymore. But why? I mean, I don't understand it. But I guess, you know. I mean, listen, I'm particular about socks and shoes. But, like, you can find other comfortable socks. Yeah. I've done it. I've gone out of kind of old navy oh these socks look nice and they they work like it he'll be okay i mean four losses out of his last five games maybe maybe it's the socks i don't know time to change it up i mean i mean maybe maybe grab great maybe grab a new pair there buddy i don't know with with that said i think superstitions is a big part of hockey always has been i know guys when i played had had superstitions nothing nothing as crazy as never changing the pair of socks but people would wear the same sort of clothes every day would always put on uh, the same same equipment first, even if it was not something you should be putting on first. I don't know. Stuff like that. Yeah, hockey and players, that's, hockey I, players I, like, I rock with that. That's awesome. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, I put my shoes on the same, the same exact way every day. Like, those are cool superstitions that don't affect anybody who would hear about them. This has ruined my day. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I knew people who would refuse to play unless they had the right amount of tape around their around their knees and right amount of tape on their shin pad and i'm like that yeah you're entitled to do that if those guys were also like hey i'm gonna walk around with my toes sticking out of my socks and i'm never gonna change it i'd also be like maybe change it you know what i mean so connor just like that's just a little food for thought for you um at the same time though keep killing it you're on a you're on a 130 point pace this year uh you're the best a uh, player of my lifetime, perhaps, until Connor Bedard joins the league. I <laughs> he's gonna get a know. he's gonna get athlete's foot, right? If he's, he's he keeps I, using I, you have to think, right? Like that's, concern, I was thinking I, about that. That's a lot, right? There's got to be a concern. I mean, well, I, 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 I've on. never seen anything like that. I think he's the only athlete in the modern game who prefers to have his toes sticking out of his socks. I mean, it's 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 strange, but it gets results. He's 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 like at least he's pretty good. I think I hear he's like okay, right? He's a little, he's he's a solid above he's average average player. he's average yeah yeah the youngest captain Libor high is better <laughs> 19 year old captain for the Edmonton Oilers now um they're going through a tough spell but I think they'll be okay uh they since we've talked about them a lot we should at least give them a proper intro to the next game they play the Sharks tonight so they'll be and they're in San Jose so they'll be they'll, they'll be like game. a little warm up test for when New Jersey gets there yeah. Yeah, that's all that's all Connor McDavid ever is. But with that said, I think this is time. We gotta wrap things up. We're running out of time here. For WFUV Sports Five on Three Podcast. I am James Burley. Lou Orlando, Andrew Canieri were with me saying so long. We will see you guys next time in studio on campus. <laughs>